welcome back to another episode of Explain It To Me with Dalton and Stetson Gaff, live from Studio 26, coming at you. Today on the show, we have a gentleman, Tim Richardson. He is a world-renowned captain, a fisherman, and we're talking big fish, okay? Like, big. Not little trout or walleye. We're talking marlin, world-class fish, you name it, he's fished it. Tim, can you hear us? Yes, I can. How are you guys doing today? We're doing well. Where are you at today? I am in South Florida for a couple of days. Uh, come up to get some parts for the boat and go to a, a dinner tonight and then back to Dominican Republic tomorrow and start fishing again the next day. Well, that sounds freaking awesome. So, you, you're a fisherman, but why don't you tell us a little bit about where you come from and how you wound up where you are today? All right. Uh, born in Australia. Um, my dad traveled a lot for work, so we, we tend to travel around a lot. Lived in most places in Australia, um, Sydney, Melbourne, Perth, Brisbane, Gold Coast. I did, uh, done 25 seasons in Cairns fishing for the Big Black Marlin. And about 20 years ago, my mum and dad sort of retired from the business world and bought a macadamia farm. Uh, on the east coast of Australia, so that's kind of when I'm not traveling and fishing, hang out with mum and dad at the farm and and then uh, try and get a bit of time off. Okay, could you uh, please describe where Kansas is at and uh, maybe why that's a more popular fishing spot in the world? Sure. Um, if you look at a map of Australia, Australia is actually a really big place. It's about the same size as the U.S., the continental U.S., so it's up the east coast it's sort of 3,000 miles long so the most easterly point of Australia is roughly where, where, where my parents live and where I hang out and then we go a thousand nautical miles north of there basically to the top right of Australia a little bit down from the top and, and that's where a town of Cairns is uh, you pronounce it like a can of beer even though it's spelled C-A-I-R-N-S uh, and that's really the gateway to the Great Barrier Reef and has been since probably the, the late 60s um, when they discovered the big giant black marlin there, as well as obviously all the you know the phenomenal swimming and snorkeling and bottom fishing and everything else that the the reef has to offer. So did you say they discovered the big black marlin in the '60s? Yeah, it was the late '60s. Um, a few guys had been going to Australia um, on R and R from Vietnam uh, from the from the Vietnam War and. They liked it a lot after they got off, so they went back to Cairns. And, you know, there were, a few of the guys were from Florida and Texas and stuff and, and loved to fish, and they wanted to explore it. And they built some boats to go do it, and then they, they started the fishery. They were, they were the true pioneers. They, they built boats and went out there and, and caught big fish. The first 1,000-pound fish ever caught in Australia was in 1964, and that was, that was the start of the, the giant black marlin fishery and charter fishery in Australia. So since 1964, is this, um, a lot of people like to do deep sea fishing and whatnot, but uh, as an economic impact and whatnot, what has that done to Australia? I mean, is there a lot of fishing boat captains that do this? Is this something that, you know, you have to have a special way of doing it to be good at it, or how does that work? Um, the Cairns fishery is very unique. Um, we are very lucky that, coming from there that that's you know the pinnacle of fishing in australia is 
is to fish cans, if, you know, if that's what you're into. Um, the, the fish are big. The, it's just a, a totally different way to fish from other places in the world. We, we only fish three baits. We generally fish late morning until dark rather than getting up real early in the morning and running out there. So in the morning we, we catch bait and go for a swim and have a bottom fish and, and enjoy being on the reef till sort of mid-morning. And then we head out literally half a mile the other side of the reef into the, the actual the edge of the continental shelf. The, the outer edge of the Great Barrier Reef is the continental shelf. So it, it goes from dry coral at low tide and you go a mile offshore and you're in a thousand, two thousand foot of water. On the, on the edge of the continental shelf. So those fish are coming in from all over the Pacific and they come there September, October, November each year and they come to the reef to actually to breed and reproduce and that's that's why the big fish are there because the, the breeding fish are sort of your 600 to 1,200 pound fish and predominantly the, the 6 to 800, 900 pound fish are the ones that really produce a, a whole bunch of small marlin for the, for the future. And that's why Australia was really the pioneer of tag and release for big fish and, and still leads the world today for tag and release fishing or, you know, or even just release fishing of, of big, big female fish. Okay, what made you want to get into fishing or when did you realize at what age that you're like, hey, this would be pretty cool to do for a living? Um, I, I've always surfed. My dad taught me to surf when I was five and we've surfed together pretty much since then I'm mid 40s now so we still get out on the water and and stuff I we we had some some mutual family friends that had a little beach house south of Perth and went down to do some fishing off the beach for almost like for like a like a ballyhoo and and other sort of small fish off the beach and I was too small to cast out the big 12 foot surf rod so my dad's buddy's parents were there and He'd cast out the big rod for me and I'd stand on the beach and catch the crap out of him. So just always loved the water and, and, and love, you know, mechanical stuff. And when I, I went fish a little bit through high school with a couple of commercial fishermen that I knew uh, when we moved back to the Gold Coast. And then I kind of kept bugging, bugging the guys until they took me out offshore when I was sort of a teenager. And then I kind of just grew from there. Okay, how many fish do you think you've caught your whole life, Tim? Do you have a rough estimate, or...? Uh, I, I stopped counting how many marlin we've caught a while ago. <laughs> like, uh, a while ago, and that was at about 3,000. We, we just stopped counting. Wow. Now, now, these days, you know, it's, as hard as it sounds, the only number that really matters to me anymore is how many real big ones we've caught. And Because all the other fish would, you know, I think last year we... We tagged and released over 200 fish between the, the Dominican season and the can season. So, you know, we, we catch... The, the main thing is, you know, as a, as a charter boat captain and an operator is, is making sure our people have a good time. And that really, at the end of the day, is all that matters. Our people are spending a lot of money. They're traveling a long way to come and fish with us. And we want to make sure they have a good time. And at the end of the day, the fishing is actually the easy part for me. The rest of the business is... the difficult bit keeping boats running dealing with weather dealing with you know day-to-day life for people you know and who likes to drink what and who likes to eat what and i don't eat this and you know you you got to take all that into account so that the actual fishing part of it these days is quite relaxing for me because i don't have to stress about it if the fish are there we're going to catch them and conditions are right we're going to do real well and if it's a little bit slow then we you know 
we really make sure our people have a good time and enjoy the time out on the water. Jeez, you kind of sound like a farmer right there. Uh, yeah, but farmers always complain. It's too hot, yeah, too yeah, dry, right. too wet, too cold. You know, now we've got an ice storm and it's taking all the fruit off the trees. You know, they're always complaining. They only complain on the boat when they're not catching anything. <laughs> yeah, well, yeah. It, it still sucks when you don't catch anything because obviously we want to catch fish every day just like our people do, you know. And sometimes it gets a bit hard when conditions aren't there, but just, you know, make the most of it. Just like, just like farming, you know, it's a, if you get a bad, really windy season or a really wet season or a dry season, you can't stop. You've got to keep going. You've got to persevere and, and push through it and hope next year's even better. That's right. You've got to play the hand you're dealt for that season. Yeah. Hey, Tim, i got to ask yep. you, what's the, what's the biggest fish you've caught? Uh, well, actually, your fish is the biggest one we've caught, which was the 1220 black. We've, we've seen some really, really big fish, 1400. <laughs> Who knows how big they are, but the biggest one we've actually landed was was, was your fish, Stetson. That was, yeah. was a donkey fish. <laughs> yeah. a, very, a very special fish. Yeah, so for- and you guys have been fortunate to fish with us quite a bit, and you know you've all caught some really, you know, stellar, you know, once in a lifetime fish for people, and you guys have all caught them, you know, and you know we actually just looked at that video the other day of the the one that the one that Mark caught down off uh, on the last day of the trip there where we caught a bunch of fish a couple of years ago and that was that was a really big fish too yeah so everyone listening right now uh, the gaff farms here went down to australia in 2012 and we caught a 1220 black marlin and uh if you really want to get your heart racing man I mean, with the crew running around the captain operating the boat the way he does and just trying to get you that fish it is definitely definitely a rush man there's nothing that's been close in my life absolute blast get back to that point yes that's you reeled it in yep yep to about an hour and a half or so yeah, or? you were you were gassed by the yeah, time you were done yeah it was that was, it was that was a rush was, that was you know and, and, and honestly that was the last mm, that was the last fish we've got for a while so you know it's, we we release a lot of fish we, we do a lot of catch and release and uh, you know, and every now and again, you know, a real special fish comes along, and and we decide that we want to weigh it, and and that's what that's what keeps the industry going is people want a shot at that that really special fish every now and again. Well, yeah, well, thank you for getting us our fish, sir. That was yeah, that was quite the trip. <laughs> hey, Tim, let's go back to the macadamia nut farm. How can you explain? Sure. Can you explain to us? Explain it to me how that whole like harvest goes about. Or how they come to okay. like just explain the process. Yep, all right. A macadamia tree is a native Australian tree. They were taken to Hawaii by Captain Cook, and that's why most Americans think of macadamia nuts as being Hawaiian, but they're actually a native Australian tree. So, if you go back to where we said we live in Australia, right at the most easterly point, which is about halfway up the coast, that is actually the natural range of a macadamia tree is a hundred a hundred miles north and south of that. So that's where the majority of macadamia farms are in Australia. So macadamias, for, for harvest, we are, you know, obviously we graft them and, and grow different species of trees and different varieties of trees, just like you know, most farmers do, to get more yield per tree or more yield per acre. Um, a macadamia tree actually looks a lot like an apple tree, sort of, same sort of size. As they get bigger, uh, we start to hedge them uh, because we do grow them in rows 
um, and that then allows more light to get into the, the lower space rows. So a macadamia tree will flower and then each one of those flower buds has the potential to turn into a macadamia nut. Um, so they normally flower, start flowering sort of September, October and we're in full flower come what would be our summer at Christmas time and then as the nuts grow when they're ripe they actually fall on the ground and that normally starts happening sort of around Easter maybe a little bit earlier than Easter all the way through to sort of August so generally we start doing we do sort of four pickups during the during the year sort of once a month um, and then we do sort of a final cleanup pick at the end so a, a macadamia is actually a lot like a like a coconut you've actually except a coconut's hollow inside but so we've got the kernel inside which is probably about i don't know three quarters of an inch half to three quarters of an inch across and then there's a really hard brown shell and then on the outside of that is a husk and we actually de-husk um in the field with our with our uh, harvester and then that husk gets mulched up and put back under the trees. So whereas the previous generation of harvesters just picked up the nut in the shell and then we would take them to the big shed and dump them and we would actually have a, a dehusker as part of the, the processing process. How large is this farm, uh, Tim? I mean, what's a good average size farm for macadamia nut to be to uh, be pretty profitable? To be viable, we, we, have, we have about 70 acres of trees. Um, I think, you know, don't quote me, I think we have about 15 or 16,000 trees. So in a good year, we'll get about 120 ton, that's kilo ton. Um, and in a slow year, we might get 80. Um, so, you know, like any farming, you've got set costs. And, you know, when you have a really good harvest and you make money in the years, some years you just break even. And, you know, you, know, you guys know how it is. And, and all the people listening to the podcast know what farming's like but um they're they're actually a not a bad crop because they are being a native tree they're very resilient to to pests and bugs and we really only spray for uh for um this time of year before they start to to really finally turn into a you know the full-size nut we spray for like um you know some, some bugs and we also depending on the year if it's a wet year we might spray for botrytis to stop them for prematurely falling off the tree. Um, and actually with harvest, I didn't mention that, we harvest them pretty much how they pick up golf balls at the driving range. So on the front of the tractor and then offset to one side to go under the tree, and then behind that there's a blower that then blows the ones we missed into the next row so we can pick them up coming back the other direction. That's pretty cool. Yeah, because yeah, you don't want to pick them up by hand. Sure. <laughs> awesome. Cool. All right, Tim. Well, we appreciate uh, you coming on to the show today. Seth, you got anything else? Uh, yeah, Good Tim. To talk to you guys again. Yeah, definitely. Hey, Tim, if uh, anybody's listening here and they're kind of curious about the fishing part or whatnot or anything else with you, um, what's the best contact point or is there the best way to do it, whether it's Facebook or email or website? Yep. Or? I'm, I'm all over Facebook, um, Captain Tim Richardson or Tradition Charters. And my website's real simple, traditioncharters.com. And uh, you can find me through there if you want to fish in the Caribbean or come to Australia or, you know, even planning a holiday to Australia and, like, where do I go, what do I see? You know, I'd 
I help all my clients that come to Australia. We, we help them book plane tickets. We help them what to see, what to do, where to go, and, and more important, where not to go waste. You've only got a week's time for vacation outside of fishing. These are the things that I would recommend you go do. And don't spend two days driving to the outback to go look at a big rock that you've seen on TV. <laughs> you know, you're better off spending that time hanging out somewhere nice and having a good time. Sure. Okay. Yep. Fair enough. Well, we can speak from experience that uh, Tim is one of the best at what he does. So if anybody out there wants to go fishing, catch a big fish, he's probably the guy to talk to. All well, right. I appreciate that, guys, and look forward to catching up with you soon. I'll I'm actually going to try and get up that way probably in July and come see you guys. Excellent. Looking forward to it. Yep. All right. Thanks, everyone, for listening to another episode of Explain It To Me with Dalton and Stetson Gath. You can find us at gathfarms.com or on Facebook at Gath Farms. Cool. Thank you very much, Tim, and have yourself a good day. All right, guys. Appreciate it. Look after yourselves and uh, have a good weekend. All right. Bye.